0: Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, Just like the podcast, it's absolutely free and we'd love to have you. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. Um, nice to see you all and um, welcome to our Parsha class. Uh, this week's Parsha is Parshat Ki Tavo. We're getting close to the end of the the Torah, um, just a few more Parshot left. and we're also getting close to the end of the year, right Not a coincidence there. Um, and I am always when I'm looking at the Torah at this uh, point in the in the year, I'm always thinking of about it as a as a, as a some kind of re- reflection point for all of the spiritual work that we're doing to prepare for a new year to prepare for a, a season of we be, we begin in this tradition the new year with with reflection um with with repair with repentance with return lots of our words um, that are all meant to sketch out the different nuances of the Hebrew word tshuva, repentance, uh, return is really the most proper translation, but it's all those things. And that's the season and that's the, the spiritual energy that we're in. And um, not every Parsha in, 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 at the end of the Torah lends itself so easily to those, to those sorts of um, reflections. And I I I would say I find Parsha Ki Tavo a particularly difficult Parsha, just on its own merits. I always find it difficult to study, um, and that is because the 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 bulk of the Parsha, the the real the the biggest aliyah, the biggest piece of the Parsha, is the Tochacha, the great rebuke. It's the second great rebuke of the Torah. And by that, by rebuke or as we call it, uh, we mean it's a a threat. It's essentially a threat, but also a kind of a prophecy. If you don't behave, all of these things will happen to you. And it's very, very, very difficult stuff. It's very difficult stuff. I don't like to, none of us, we, we read it quietly when we come to it in the Torah in shul. There's a tradition to lower one's voice and read it quickly and quietly, which is the tradition's own way of saying, like, ugh, we don't like that this is even here. This is terrible stuff. This is this is terrible if it is true. And it's also terrible to us that it's in here and that we're being so severely chastised in the middle of our own sacred text. And remember, it happens twice. Okay, but I. But I, I, so I was going over it and over it. There are interesting, of course, there's always something interesting about um, every verse in the Torah, but there are really interesting curses in there. There's other things in the, in the Parsha. We're going to take a little bit of a running start, but, um, but what I ended up stumbling across this week was very, very, uh, a verse I'd never noticed before, a very unusual and interesting verse that is Stuck buried in the middle of the tochacha, that I think that uh, has all kinds of um, uh, uh, major implications for for our, for our spiritual lives and for how we think about um, our spiritual work. And um, and and I'll just 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 to just to give a, a one word of of of, of teaser, uh, it raises the question of how. Uh, how um, much our spiritual work ought to be done in, in, in joy and, and happiness, okay? Which I think it, that, is a, that is a major question at this season, um, in part because it's very easy to feel like the spiritual work of Elul and the High Holidays is the work of, um, of misery. Is is the work of of self punishment? Is the work of of feeling terrible about who we are and everything we've done? And you know, uh, we kind of like that. That isn't the spirit of the age. That isn't the the tenor of our culture. And we don't like that message altogether. I I find in myself and in my people. Um, but it also this verse. Sort of triggered me to to a whole investigation that made me think maybe it isn't just that uh, we don't like that message as you know mo- modern people or weak people or uh, different people, but but actually maybe the Torah the Torah uh, herself is not 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 looking for that kind of religious life from us. Okay, so we'll get there. I just uh, that's a little bit of a of um, preview. Okay. So let's say a blessing, and we'll head into this week's Parsha. Okay. Okay, so as I said, Parsha Kitavo is a a difficult one. It, It starts off, though, with a beautiful ceremony. And you know, we end up talking about this every year as a way of not talking about the Tocha, but it starts with uh, parshat bikurim, the ceremony of the first fruit. So let's let's start. Let's just take a look at the parsha and see what's in there, and then soon we'll get to the Tocha. And I, I guess I also I also want to to do this work with you because knowing about the two tochachot, the two rebukes knowing that they're there, um, knowing their structure, and then beginning to compare one um, uh, to the other. All of that work is really important work for knowing your Torah. That is, um, we come across these every year, there are traditions around them, they're there, they're prominent. There are two major rebukes in the Torah. If you're a student of the Torah, at a certain point, whether it's pleasant or not, you have to confront those rebukes and see why are they there? What is it all about? um, um, how do we, how do we process these two rebukes? Okay. So let's, uh, let's take a look. Um, f- let's start just to give us a sense of, of what's in our Parsha this week. We'll start with the, we'll start at the beginning. And at the beginning, we begin this Parsha with, as I said, the first fruit ceremony, there's two kind of ceremonial declarations that begin our Parsha. And one is the ceremony of the first fruits. This is where the parsha gets its name, ki tavo, v'hayah tavo, when you enter the land, ki tavo, when you enter the land, the Lord, your, the Lord, your God, the eternal is giving you, um, as an inheritance, uh, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first fruit of the soil, Mireshit kol pri HaDama. right, that's, That's, uh, that's the offering and you take it and you bring it to the place where your God, the eternal will choose to establish, i.e. the temple. And you go to the priest in charge at the time and you, you make a declaration. You say to him, I acknowledge, I, 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 I hereby declare. And there's a whole declaration. It's actually famous, this declaration, uh, especially this part. My 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 father was a fugitive Aramean, and he went down to Egypt with meager numbers and sojourned there, but there it became a great and very populous nation. Very famous because this is in the Haggadah, the Passover Haggadah, and it's offered as a kind of like the quickest summary of the story so far. In other words, you go, when you get to the land, you make your first offering, and you you go before the priest, and you say, I hereby, this is... This is the journey I've taken all along. We we wandered all this way. We finally come here. Hooray, hooray. That's Parshat HaBikurim. That's the first fruit ceremony. And it's nice. Uh, it's nice. There's only so much. I feel like you can talk about it every year, but there it is. It's nice. First fruit ceremony. It's also nice. Um, this is okay. So let's just keep track here. Our Parsha begins Deuteronomy chapter 26. First fruit ceremony. And then we're still in chapter 26. Uh, the next piece is a very similar, very very similar motion here. It seems like there there's two kind of opening ceremonies. The other one is discusses um, the tithe. This doesn't happen. Uh, 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 this this doesn't happen in the same way in front of a priest. But you do make an offering, a tithe that is a tenth of your of your yield of your produce, and you also make a declaration before God. I've cleared out the consecrated portion from my house. Okay, so. That's it. The the, tithe, the first fruit and then the tithe both um both produce offerings. That's the opening of the parsha, as if to say, okay, when you finally get there, we've been wandering all along, but when you finally get there, go and make offerings and give gratitude to God and tell them your tell tell the, the priest your story. And you know, there's it's ceremony. Okay, that's the beginning, but then the rest of the parsha is a series of blessings and curses and there too there's kind of two versions of it one we're not going to look at which is you may know there's a there's a ceremony that takes place between two mountains and people recite curses and blessings to each other that's complicated um but we'll leave that aside that is a prelude though for as i said what ends up taking the, the majority of the parsha, which is um the tochacha, the rebuke But the rebuke is uh, in both cases, both in back in Leviticus at the end of the book of Leviticus and here again in Deuteronomy, in both cases, um, it starts with some blessings. In other words, the structure is, if you're good, here's a few beautiful blessings that will happen to you. And I say few, because in both cases, the blessings that are mentioned are very few. And then it turns and says, but if you're bad, and then explosion tons and tons and tons of, so they were remembered as the review. Rebu- they're not well-balanced in either case, and that's part of the problem. If it were 100 blessings and 100 curses, it would make more sense, but it, it feels very different. So let's now head into the tohacha. I want to give you the structure that we'll see in both, and then begin to point out some differences between the two, and that finally will set us up to look at the verse in question today. So Here's the, this is actually the second tochacha, the one in our, in this week at the end of the book of Deuteronomy at the end of the Torah, this is our here Deuteronomy chapter 28 and we'll go back and we'll look at the other one just for a little comparison. But as I said, it begins by saying Oh, at v'kol Hashem l'asot at kol mitzvotav asher hayom. if you obey the your God the eternal to observe faithfully all the Divine Commandments which I enjoined upon you this day your God the Eternal will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings will come upon you and take effect and um blessed this is some very poetic language <speaking in Hebrew> blessed are you shall you be in the city blessed shall you be in the country blessed shall be your issue from your womb your produce from the soil and the offspring of your cattle and the calving of your herd and the lambing of your flock blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl blessed shall you be in your comings and blessed shall you be in your goings that's great but it only lasts for 14 verses. There's a few more blessings there. We'll leave that off. But I read all that so you could hear the parallelism in um, in the curses once they come in verse 15. Here's the turn. But if you do not obey your God, the Eternal, to observe faithfully all the commandments and laws which I enjoined upon you this day, all these curses shall come upon you and take effect. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed, um, arur, arur. cursed shall be your the issue of your womb and your produce in the soil and the calving of your herd and the lambing of your flock. Arua the Cursed shall you be in your comings, and cursed shall you be in your goings. Parallel language there, but gosh, then we just keep going. And the The blessings were 14 verses long. The curses will be when we get to the bottom of them, um, uh, 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 55 verses long. Okay, 69 altogether. So let's just uh, just just to give you a sense of some of what's in here. Here's here's one of the most striking images in the curse in the curse section. The eternal will strike you with madness, blindness and dismay. You shall grope at noon as the blind grope in the dark. You shall not prosper in your ventures, but shall be constantly abused and robbed with none to give help. Really, really terrible, difficult, um, theologically challenging stuff that God would do this at all that we might deserve it. just it's just just so unpleasant, so horrible to read. And then finally, uh, it ends with the eternal will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, whom neither you nor your ancestors have experienced. And even among those nations, you shall find no peace, nor shall your foot give, find a place to rest. The eternal will give you there an anguished heart and eyes that pined and a despondent spirit. The life you face shall be precarious. You shall be in terror night and day with no assurance of survival. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening. And in the evening you shall say, if only it were morning because of what your heart shall dread and your eyes shall see. Okay, okay. So, uh, oh, one more verse. The eternal shall send you back to Egypt in galleys by a route which I told you, you should not see again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to enemies as male and female slaves, but none will buy. And that's it. It ends there. These are the terms of the covenant which God commanded Moses to conclude with the Israelites. It's almost like the Torah ends there. There's a little more story after that, but it's like that it's sort of the last word of the covenant there. Terrible, 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 terrible. Okay, now I just want to point out three differences between the this this Tochacha and the and the and the uh, and the back in Leviticus. and by pointing out those three, that'll give us some opportunity to think about why these are here all together, but as I said, eventually we're gunning for one particular verse and we'll we'll get there with the third difference. Okay, the first difference between the Tochacha in the book of Leviticus, the earlier Tocha and the Tocha, in the book of Deuteronomy that everybody notices is that the Tocha in the book of Leviticus is said in the, um, what is it called? (laughs) First person plural. And the Tocha in the book of Deuteronomy is said in the first person singular. In other words, back there, um, uh, the the Tocha is addressed to the whole people of Israel, you all. (laughs) And here it, it seems to be directed it. Moses is speaking as if he's speaking to you, you, you singular. So let's just take a look at that. Just take note of that. Okay. So um, here it is in Deuteronomy. Now, if you obey the eternal, your God, which I enjoin upon you, and it, it's most clear where right, you in English works both ways, but blessed shall you be Baruch Ata, you, you, not Atem, but Ata, blessed shall you be. And so, so it is with all of the verbs and the possesses, tzonecha, yo, your sheep, you, 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 singular, okay? Whereas the curses in Leviticus, see, they follow the same structure. If you follow my laws, that's great. But if you don't, then there's bad stuff to come. But the you here is different. It's telechu, tishmeru, you all, you all, okay? So, um so that's first of all, uh, one, that's, that's one difference to think about. When I say that we should think about the difference between the Tocha in Leviticus and the Tocha in Deuteronomy, we're always doing comparative study in our, in our, in our readings of the Torah. But remember the, the primary rule when we come to the book of Deuteronomy. What's the primary reading rule when we come to the book of Deuteronomy? I've said it several times in this class before. Deuteronomy is Moses's book. Moses was the prophet through which the entire Torah came but tradition tells us and the way this the the story is even in the in the book of Deuteronomy is told that Deuteronomy is more Moses's voice than any of the rest of the Torah Moses gave this over himself. Right. it, it came up out of him, it's his Tocha. So one way to think about any comparison that we do between Leviticus or anything else before the, Deuter- the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Deuteronomy is that somehow Moses made that choice to point the finger at you and you and you and you and you and, you and not y'all. Okay, so that's one difference. Another striking difference, another un- like if a sad difference uh, one feels between the two Tocha is that the first one ends with right terrible stuff here. I'll wreak misery upon you, consumption and fever. I'll set my face against you. Your foes shall dominate you. But the first one ends with words of consolation. Yet even then, when they're in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them or spurn them entirely so as to destroy them, unknowing my covenant with them. No, for I, the Eternal, am their God. I will remember in their favor, the covenant with the ancients whom I freed from the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations to be their God, I, the eternal. These very, right? okay, so ends on a good note. Like, yes, there's a lot of curses, but in the end, it'll all work out. I will remember you, something, some kind of, you will, we will, we will repair the breach. And remember, we just read the other curse, tohacha, which ends on this terrible note of going back into slavery. Right, the Moses who took them out of slavery, his last sort of word of of rebuke is to say, "You're and if you're not careful, you're going to go back to Egypt." So that's that's uh, difference too. Tochacha one addressed to y'all and ends on a good note. Tochacha two addressed to you singular and ends on a terrible note. Okay here it's like thinking there are lots of differences. that we could keep going you know what's in there what's in there one is longer than the other we, lots of differences but i was like looking around for any anybody who has had anything to say on the two tocha and i found a really interesting third difference pointed out by rabbi jonathan Sachs, of blessed memory who died i think within the last year or within the last two years maybe i think it was um certainly one of the the great, he he's so famous for being like, um, you know, the the, the queen has died in England. But when Jonathan Sack Sacks passed away, that was sort of like our royalty dying in England, right? Like he's famous for being the the chief rabbi of England, um, and he was a dignitary in in many ways and very eloquent, very very worldly, very you know. Um, well educated in both realms, as you know, an English chief rabbi is supposed to be. But he was also—he really was a great scholar. And when you read his writing, he's incredibly, incredibly insightful. And I do think he will be remembered in the long term as one of the one of the great commentators um, of our age because he has a great collection of Torah commentary. And it's called Covenant and Conversation. Often says really um, has real chidushim, real new insights. And he suggests something here that. I'd never thought of before. And also, um, that finally brings us to this verse in question, okay? That I want the, the rest of the class will be a reflection on this verse. So here's what he says Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. He says, in Bechukotai, that's back in Leviticus, God had spoken of a fundamental breach between Israel and its Redeemer. The language is harsh. If you reject my decrees and abhor my laws, if you continue to be hostile to me, What is at stake is an active rebellion of the Israelites against God. That's back there in Leviticus. In Kitavo, here in Deuteronomy, the language is entirely different. It does not speak of a willful, petulant nation deliberately spurning God. Indeed, it speaks of something that hardly sounds like a sin at all. Why would Israel suffer? Because you did not serve God your Lord with joy and gladness in the midst of the abundance of all okay read that one more time why would israel suffer because you did not serve god your lord with joy and gladness in the midst of the abundance of all okay that's really an interesting suggestion that maybe the earlier rebuke is focused on the people's rebellion against god some animosity between them and god rejection of the covenant bad behavior and the second tochacha centers on, according to Rabbi Sachs, this idea that we, we didn't do it with joy, we didn't serve God out of a sense of, of joy, we didn't we didn't once we had what we needed we stopped being um, happy about it. We got uh, we got too comfortable with in the midst of abundance. All right, and let's just show you that verse and then I want to open up finally the conversation here. What you think this verse could possibly be saying? Why Why is it here and, and how seriously should we take it? Because I have to admit that when I went back and I looked at the verse in the Torah, Rabbi Sachs, it, it, it seems like not exactly as strong, a, a stark a, a contrast as Rabbi Sachs was suggesting. Because if you go back to the Torah, you find, all these curses shall befall you, and they'll shall pursue you and overtake you until you're wiped out because you did not heed your God, the eternal. So you didn't heed the your God the eternal, and keep the commandments and laws that were enjoined upon you. Okay, so, that's sort of, that's a similar message, right? You didn't listen to God, you didn't do what God said. Uh, the, it's that is also there, or it isn't as clearly not, but what did Rabbi Sachs said? It does not speak of a willful, petulant nation deliberately sprinting God, but I don't know, sort of does, doesn't it? And not only that, but um, when, when we get to the verse in question, it says, because you would not serve your God, the eternal in joy and gladness in the midst of the abundance of all, It actually seems like the next verse continues the thought and says, therefore, you shall have to serve in hunger and thirst naked and lacking everything, the enemies whom the eternal will let loose against you. So it's sort of like another curse, right? Because you didn't serve joy, you're going to end up, um, because you did, let's, let's, let's keep the formula carefully in our minds. Because you didn't serve God with joy when you had everything you needed, then you will serve God in a state of hunger and starvation um, eventually, okay? So I'm not sure when I go back that actually Rabbi Sachs is exactly right that the whole thing is not about the people's rebellion, it's about their lack of joy. But, so we'll continue to think about that, but I am intrigued by the idea. I'm intrigued by the idea. And I I want to discuss with you the idea that Moses is focused in the second rebuke, especially on the on, on the on the on the um, on the possibility that the people will get um, self-satisfied and, and 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 abundant and full, and they will stop feeling any joy. And that they will not serve God in joy and that will be the problem that will be the central problem. Okay, so I already see some folks wanting to respond to that. So let's just pause there and contemplate a little bit. uh, uh, What that verse might mean and and how how central it might be um, this statement that Moses is making that there's a real problem with you people. Um, who um, get to a place where you don't serve God out of joy. All right, Noah?
1: Yeah, Rabbi Sachs and the Torah make an interesting point, but
0: there's not
1: really a chance for tshuva, for repentance, that if once you're in abundance, you're never thanking God for anything, but where's the chance to thank God? There's It's not there doesn't seem to be there that we're in this abundance or even not in abundance where there's no chance for repentance. And especially in this time of Elul, where's the chance for tshuva?
0: That's really interesting. Okay. And, and that also, I think, echoes theologies that you will find in, throughout Jewish history, which is that, um, you know, there there's some question as to why we why we have, why we struggle at all, um, but not just our suffering. I mean, just like why do we have to struggle through just to like keep ourselves alive? Why would God want us like, um, and all, all the, all the animals running around trying to. I, yeah, I watch nature shows with my, um, with my parents a lot. That's one of the things we do together, and it's like the whole. I we love watching them. It's just like we just love watching the natural world in motion. But mostly, what it's in motion. Um, doing is just looking for, food, looking for 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 food. That's all the animals do, right? They mate and they eat. They mate and they eat. They just satisfy their their life needs. And one of the answers to why is everything in constant search uh, to fulfill its needs is that's the way that it's set up because we in we should we need to be in a position of knowing that we we don't have it all that we need, we need help, we need assistance, we need to like, it, it, that we need to know that what we get is a blessing. So every time we, we get hungry, we have a new opportunity to remember that it's such a blessing that there's food. If I didn't need food, sudden, sooner or later, I just wouldn't be aware of the fact that that in itself is a blessing, that I need no sustenance, but it's one that I would forget. So I need to be in a, I need to be in a relationship of dependency to the um to God, to the world, to to everything around me, in order to know that I am not perfect as I am, right? Because if I start to feel that, then like there's no need for God or prayer. I am God. I'm fine, right? So that's um, not to say that we celebrate hunger, but to say that there's a reason for the whole cycle of de- dependence that the entire world participates in. Um, Leah Matsui.
2: I think we get inundated in sort of a a Christian modality. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. Our heroes are pure and strong, Dudley do right. And our villains are indeed villainous. But that's not somehow the way it works for us. Um, We. There's something greater that seems to be going on that is often unfathomable. Mm -hmm. Um, We get the freedom to choose at every moment whether to celebrate or not. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes it's really hard to remember that their joy would be possible even in this moment. But I think that that's what's being held out to us. As a possibility, uh, you could s- sing and dance and celebrate, even on your way out, even in the absolute worst, worst, worst situations.
0: Okay, that um, that also seems to me uh, uh, like a, a uh, like a, a a good a, a way of identifying um, one of Moses's concerns here, um, which is not just that um, you can you can become uh, forgetful and uh, complacent is the word, right? That's the word I've, I've been, that's been alluding me, complacent when you have too much, but that the idea is that you can be miserable with anything and you can be joyful with anything. Now, again, I think that that's a to say that is immediate, certainly, almost everybody when I said that thought, well, wait a minute. I can think of a situation where you can't be joyful, right? Like it's a it's a it's an important paradigm which uh, has some asterisks around it, right? but but maybe, maybe that's what what the Torah is pushing us towards is some idea that we could cultivate joy in the midst of 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 any kind of suffering. And we could cultivate misery in the midst of any kind of abundance. And the idea is not that it's better to be poor than rich. It's better to be um, endangered than safe. But the idea is like, don't let those two states um, be the the determinants of your consciousness because we can cultivate this joy in the midst of everything. Okay. I, I, um, I wanna use that comment to, uh, to, to open the verse up a little bit, into to, to seeing how it's been used by um, by we saw Rabbi Sachs take it up, but it's been used again and again. This verse, once I once he pointed it out to me, I I went back and looked it up and saw how the verse recurs again and again in all kinds of works of kind of spiritual development and. Um, Ibn Maimonides mentions it. Yuda Levy mentions it. But the very um very striking mention in uh, in the Tanya, one of the the great Hasidic works I happen to be reading a lot lately um, as I prepare for the high holidays. And he quotes this verse. so here's this is here's a couple of very famous Hasidic masters, and their their emphasis on this verse. remember, the Hasidic movement is known for its um, emphasis on joy in the service of God. That's almost defining. So um, yes, joy in the service of God, but that sounds like such a nice, friendly, easy thing to say. But actually often in the formulation, it sounds much more like the way Leah was just putting it, which is that you have to work to be joyful in spite of it all. So here's, here's just a couple of examples of that. Here's the Tanya, um, the founder of the Chabad Hasidic movement. And he says the Torah is ex- he's talking about the need for joy in the service of God. And he says the Torah is explicit on this point, because you would not serve your God the eternal in joy. That's the, the sorry. I should have a quote there. Because you would not serve the God your God the eternal the eternal in joy. That's our verse. And everyone knows that the Arizal spoke about this verse as well. Lots of people speaking about this verse. And the proper advice from all these people is to cleanse one's heart of all sadness and of every trace of worry about mundane matters, even about children, health, and sustenance. Now, these are the things that you ought to be worrying about, right? Children, health, and sustenance. I mean, are we really, are we really being told that we shouldn't worry about these things? What does he mean by that? I was reminded of what what he says next, um, when Leah was talking because he says everyone's familiar with the statement of the rabbis that just as one must recite a blessing for the good one must also recite a blessing for misfortune. In the Gemara in the Talmud it is explained that one should accept misfortune with joy, like the joy of a visible and obvious benefit for gamzulatova, tova this is also for the good except that it's not apparent and visible to mortal eyes because it stems from the hidden world, which is higher than the revealed world. Okay, that's mysticism right there. What he means exactly by that I don't know, but the point is well taken. You don't always see the good. But you have to work to see the good. Sometimes when you're having health problems, you know, you still you still have to work to see the good work to see the good. Okay, and nobody puts that more firmly and strongly than another great Hasidic master, Rabbi Nachman of Breslau. One of his most famous teachings, one of his most central teachings is mitzvah gadol liyot pesimcha tamid. It's a great mitzvah, great commandment to be happy always. Great commandment to be happy always. And you know what? Now that we've seen this verse in the Torah, he might be right. We're, we're actually commanded to be happy. Right in our service of God. Here though, I I I never tire of of, once I saw this, I never tire of reminding people um, that he says, Mitzvah Gadola Liot the Simcha Tamid, it is a great commandment to be happy always and to strengthen oneself to push away the sadness and the black bitterness with all of one's might. Whoa. Okay, so it wasn't so simple, was it? It's not so simple it's a great message be happy all the time always be happy we're saying it seems impossible and and it it doesn't actually look like uh it's being treated like like a simple matter Right? there's a you have to somehow fight for this this is actually this might be the most difficult work of all is trying to find joy in the midst of abundance or of suffering both of those states of, of the world is full you could be you can have everything and be miserable you could certainly have nothing and be miserable how do we find joy in the midst of that all how do we do that I mean, that's, that's that's a difficult question all right let's try to hear from a few more folks before we close kathy kobayashi
3: uh yeah i was going to say one of the things that i keep coming back to in my mind is this whole move from the plural to the singular so that this uh, the deuteronomy you know uh focusing on the singular um no. you know one
2: um, oh,
3: oh yeah right yeah the one one thing that occurs to me is is that you know is it saying in in a sense that abundance is a particular problem uh, in an in an individualistic sort of um, society or is it saying that actually abundance engenders a kind of uh, you know sort of uh, um uh, individual concerns or a separation of individuals from community, uh, you know, it could go kind of either way. Uh, but, but, but it seems to me that, that it does seem to be a, a part of the kind of argument, because if the perils, there are perils in abundance, which we've been talking about, and uh, whether they in fact cause people to be separated off into the singularity, or whether it's just, you know, Uh, another kind of circumstance the thing is is that it's 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 really much harder to engender joy as an isolated individual that that so much of what we think of as being joy is connection and community and beyond the the singular to the plural and so anyway that's that's
0: really that's really really insightful I, I I I I I I like uh, that that connection back to to a to a distinction we 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 considered earlier to this idea. It, Kathy Kathy weaves uh, so well um, back uh, us back to this idea that the that the one of the differences is that Moses is addressing in the you singular you you you. And I love Kathy's um, question. This w- wondering whether the problem here, the problem of sort of um, self satisfaction, is a problem of the self of an overemphasis on the self and that Moses is worried about how it is that an individual can become so wrapped up in their own self, in their own lives, in their own misery, in their own, right? Um, Wondering then more broadly about like, where, where does joy fall in the life of the individual and where does it fall in the life of, of the community, these are also important questions to be considering as we as we begin to wrap up this conversation. I wanna point out one more thing before we do, and then I'll um, see if we have time for, for further comments, but Kathy's comments just now remind me uh, that um, once again, that it's Moses talking and that's interesting, right? That this, if we are going to um, if we're going to say that this tochacha has this new emphasis on serving God with joy, it's it's interesting to to consider that that might be an emphasis that Moses wanted in there, that it wasn't in there before. And I went and looked it up as I want to do, and you know it's 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 actually quite striking. If you look up the 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 word simcha or all the versions of simcha that you can find in the Torah. There are four four total mentions of the word before the De- book of Deuteronomy. And there are 12 mentions of it in the book of Deuteronomy. That's interesting. That's not like a nothing before and all of a sudden, but it's interesting. Like it existed before, but Moses does seem to have a particular concern with Simcha, with serving God in joy. And you know what? we saw one of those mentions at the beginning of the parsha, right that we saw this earlier when we when we looked at the first fruits we look at the first fruit of your soil remember and you acknowledge and you said to god my father was a wandering aramean and on and on and on and then it says you shall leave it before your god the eternal and bow low before your god the eternal and you shall rejoice for samachta." with together with the family of the Levite and the stranger in your midst and all the bounty that your God, the eternal has bestowed upon you and your household. Right? And even in that other mention of the tithe, um, I have not eaten of it while in mourning. Okay. So that's interesting. And All of that is in the book of Deuteronomy. So that's interesting. Moses does seem to be particularly concerned, if this is Moses's book, uh, with this concept of joy in divine service. Okay. And the only thing that I want to say about that before I, I, I throw it back to you for some final comments is that that's really interesting because Moses of all people did not seem like a particularly simchadic kind of guy, right? That's interesting. Not that he was, you know, I'm, I don't know, he was sad, but he was certainly dour, <laughs> you know? I mean, the guy, and, he, and why not? He had such a hard life. He had such a hard life, such a hard life, as did a, m- most of these people that he's speaking to, right? So interesting that Moses would say, "Ah, remember that, when we when we get what we're what we're what we're praying for, when we get across the Jordan to the other side, when we are growing produce, when we have it all, we're gonna forget to be happy. We're gonna forget to be grateful. We're gonna forget God at all. And all of this suffering—it's been hard, but it keeps us connected. Right? It keeps us connected. So that's let's just let's just think about the figure of Moses on our way out as we consider. Who it is that is yearning for joy in their divine service? Who is it? Who it is that that is keenly aware of what it means to be in the divine service and is yearning for joy in that experience. Okay. Uh let's see, time for one more. Uh Jonathan Rejes. No Yonatan? Julia can Bird. You, can
1: you hear
0: me? Oh, yeah, we hear you. Hello. Yeah. Um, we never get this, to see you, this, Yonatan.
1: I know, yeah. I, I wish you could. Um, thank you for this great lesson. I, I um, really wanted to build on Kathy's comment where she said that joy is a communal enterprise. It's also really important that in Judaism, intention doesn't exist in your heart, strangely enough, it exists in your actions. Uh, that's the real metric of intention. And so when I think about like worshiping God with joy, I mean, to me, Ekar is like, such a great example of that you go into shul and everyone's there for each other right and like gets into the joy of praying that doesn't necessarily mean they've got no problems in their life sometimes you go into a shul and everyone's just kind of you know mumbling along because that's they feel like they're obligated to and there's no joy behind their prayer and to me I mean I don't know what what troubles people are going through and they're davening beside me but when everyone is is worshiping God with joy that affects me and my state of being and my state of worship right so there is an element here of like being there for each other and supporting one
0: another I love that thank you Yonatan that is that is um that is a very very helpful uh, answer, response to a question that was raised just earlier um, that really, that, 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 a really, a really difficult question, which is how we might measure joy altogether, or how do we account for, what does it mean to know whether we are joyous or not? One answer to the question Yonatan gives, and I think it's a classic answer, not classic like I know who else has said it, but classically Jewish, uh, which is that the emphasis in this tradition is on action your inner states of being. Well, it's hard to say what that means, but there are ways to show that you love God. There are ways to show that you're in awe of God, and there are ways to show that you are rejoicing. How do you, how do how are you Miss How do you provide joy? How do you feel joy yourself? Well, do these things, dance, get up, uh, participate. Right? be with the community in its times and Kathy was alluding to this also that maybe we need the community we need each other hey you and you and you and you individuals we're going to need each other together don't separate yourself off into individuals, because we need each other to create these 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 ceremonies and. Um, and mechanisms for facilitating joy in our divine service. That's a great answer. That's one of the answer to a question that, that, uh, that, that we need to keep asking. But in the meantime, we'll close our discussion today. I, I wanna close um, with Alexandra's, a very, I think, important reminder that this work that we are doing in the month of Elul, which can be this kind of heart beating work, this heart pounding work, and then on into the month of Tishrei, it's difficult stuff. It's difficult stuff. Life is difficult. Religion is difficult. There's a lot of difficulty in the world, but we are going to try to remember that this too can be done with joy. We can beat our chests with joy. We can we can we can remember our sins with joy. We can do all of this with joy because we know that what we're doing is we're we're coming back to who we are. We're returning to who we are. We're we're growing, we're developing, we're we're getting closer to God and it's tough, but we're heading somewhere and that in itself is a source of great joy. And to be able to do it together allows us to facilitate that awareness. So may we feel joy in our work as we head towards Um, towards the new year it's good learning with you all and we'll see you again next week okay that's it a taste of our weekly parsha class Uh, i want to thank everyone who came to the class some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, And speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and and join our our circle of of Torah geeks, you can find us, uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And, uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a zoom link and just click in and, um, and in the section, uh, on the website, uh, that, that, uh, we keep our classes, you can, if you click on Parsha study, you'll find all of our archived classes and source sheets and everything we discuss there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week.